0: My friend Dave was, is a pastor. He was a, an engaged father and husband and follower of Christ. And his son was a normal kid who went through a spell of rebellion in his teens. And one night his son snuck out, as I also did as a teen. Don't do that. And he joined up with a friend, and that friend went into a convenience store and shot and killed a man. And my, son's, my friend's son was convicted as an accomplice to murder though he never left the car. He was tried as an adult at age 16 in West Virginia and given life in prison. And so for the next 20 years, my friend Dave and his wife, providentially named Hope, spent holidays eating meals from prison vending machines. He was released about six years ago, but that was after 20 years behind bars. He had learned to trade. He grew in his faith. He later married a Christian young lady. So it turned out well, but <clears throat> A, the worst nightmare for a parent. And 20 years of that stress wrecked Hope's health. In my experience as a pastor and a parent, nothing can bring more joy and hope, and nothing can bring more misery and hopelessness than being a parent. And I've seen kids from broken homes thrive and kids from loving homes fail. And so is it a coin toss? Do we, parents, and not just parents, I'm talking to all of us who come alongside parents, do we have really any impact on outcomes? How much is our choice as parents, and how much is our children's choice as individual souls? And you have extremes out there. You have Christian determinism. There's a guy who came up with a, a model I, I think is arrogantly titled Raising God's Kids God's Way, but he said that raising good children is not a matter of chance. And then you have biological, which which is true, but... In their model, it's also not penny in, candy out. It's not, there's not guarantees. And then you have biological determinism, where Carol Rubenstein wrote, wrote that a child's personality and temperament have little to do with his mother or her sacrifices and a great deal to do with what she's passed on to him genetically. So biblically, there is no Christian determinism. There's also no genetic biological determinism. But it's not a coin toss, but it is a tension. And children have to choose for themselves as they grow up. You can't force long-term compliance. You can't guarantee that your own good choices will compel and guarantee their good choices. So you haven't problems with the, with the thing? That's all right. You can just look at the green, weird green landscape <laughs> while I talk. So God is the very best of parents. He didn't compel Adam to fully obey. He could have, but then Adam would be less son and more of a machine. And the fact is, your own good choices do empower and encourage and clear the path. They make it easier for your child to make good choices. It's also without dispute that the input of non-family has a huge impact on positive outcomes for kids. So if you're thinking of if you're saying, I kind of smell a parenting sermon coming on here, so I'm going to tune out. I don't have, I don't have kids, or I've raised my kids, then stay tuned in. These are your kids. My kids are raised, but these are, these are my kids, our kids. We're in this together. And starting today and for the next three weeks, we're going to focus on faithfulness with the next generations. We will get back to John. Sunday mornings, my preaching will be focused on this topic. And Sunday afternoon, starting next week, Aaron Lewis will present a theology of parenting. Now, Aaron and Elizabeth, are expecting their first child later this year, so he is no parenting expert. I didn't ask him to teach from his expertise, though, as a parent. I asked him to teach a biblical theology of parenting, and he is an expert on biblical theology. You know, neither Jesus nor Paul were parents, and I'd be happy to learn from them about parenting. So Aaron's going to give a foundational biblical, uh, a, a, a foundational biblical truth, not current ideas or even his own experiences, because we want to know what God said about this topic. In fact, we want to know what God said about every topic He's spoken on. And then Wednesday night, March 27th, we're going to have training led by experienced River parents. And I'm doing, I'm, I'm giving you this because I want to highlight how we're doing this, because how we're doing this indicates what we believe about this i didn't find the latest greatest parenting program to unveil i didn't recruit an outside expert to come and talk to us and fly off god has given the church the resources we need to live a thriving life we have his word and we are his people we have his word. You say, Well, Terry, I don't need a theology. I need to know what to do. You absolutely need good theology. It's a fancy word for truth. God is there. God has spoken. What he has said, we want to understand. Theology is a truth of God applied to our lives. Who doesn't need that? And then, whereas people, we have here people who are trying to live God's truth out in their lives and community. We know them. We trust them. Now we can learn from them. That's the how we're doing this. That indicates what we believe. And then, The why we're doing it indicates what we value. God's given us his word. God's made us his people. And we're doing this because we value investment in the next generation. That's our highest stewardship. And there are two key ways to lose your balance as you think about this, parenting and other things, and and life as a whole. You can believe you have more control than you do. And when you think you have more control than, than you do, you can become arrogant, controlling, pushy. And then when you realize you can't actually control people, you get panicky and more and more demanding. And to believe you have the second is to believe you have less agency than you do. And this can lead to becoming apathetic, passive, discouraged, and then people give up. The balanced perspective is understand, again, that right column, left column model. Left column are things we can't control. Right column are things God's given us to have agency in. So you pray and trust God in the left. You pray and act decisively in the right. Your child can choose to go a direction that will make you sad or even break your heart. You can't guarantee outcomes even with your best choices. And you can make choices that make a certain kind of life look compelling for your child. But in the end, you're, you're responsible to be found faithful with your choices. So I'm going to give what I think is the most important foundational practical scripture on parenting. 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2. Men are to regard us as servants of Christ and those entrusted with the secret things of God. It's required that those who have been given a trust, a stewardship, be found faithful. So the gospel is the most important stewardship of a believer, and that's the context for this passage. But for the parent, and I would say for the church as a whole, the most important application of the gospel stewardship is first with our children. But it doesn't stop there. We're called to make disciples of the nations, not just our own kids. But our gospel stewardship certainly must begin with our kids. And so the key principle for the parent, the church, is be faithful with the stewardship of the next generation. And some of you are thinking, not again with that faithfulness stuff. Can you give it a break? And some people have have insinuated me, well, what about someone who's focused on faithfulness, but really it's an excuse to be passive? And I would say, do you see something wrong with that question? How are you faithful if you're not proactive? How are you faithful if you're not parenting, loving, with passionate devotion. Passive is not faithful. Faithful is not passive. Faithfulness requires, by definition, everything from us. So faithfulness as a stewardship mentality can keep us from thinking it all depends on us and our actions can guarantee outcomes, a kind of Christian determinism. And that leads to foolish pride when our kids do well and devastating shame and anger and disillusionment when they don't. If you focus on faithfulness it can help you live with a longer term perspective and not be tempted to chase short term relief when things get challenging. And I'll say if you if you haven't been faithful as a parent and all and none of us have been perfectly faithful then confess and be forgiven. And I know there's people in here whose grown kids have gone astray and for you this is not a chance just to beat yourself up but conf- any part of that that you play confess and be forgiven, and now live in the right column. And faithfulness can keep you from the dangers of the the shiny new object syndrome, the new book, the new idea, the new conference, the new easy fix. Come on. Read and learn all you can, but don't chase shiny objects in this vain search for a substitute for long-term faithfulness. I'm 65, but I'm not cynical, except when it comes to quick and easy fixes. I'm very cynical of them. So for three weeks, we're focused on our stewardship as a church of the next generation, and that includes your own kids and the kids of others in the congregation. And for some of us, it includes kids at risk in our larger community. Many of you are mentoring kids through Youth Horizons, which is a ministry we support in a lot of ways. In fact, we have a growing number of young and, and men and women who are doing this, and I would say well done. You're standing in the gap for absent parents. But today we're going to work on the biblical philosophy of parenting, and you say, "Well, I don't want a philosophy more than I want theology. I want practical help." You have a philosophy of parenting, if you're a parent. It just may not be biblical or well thought through or consistently practiced. So the etymology of the word philosophy is philos and sophia, love and wisdom. Now who doesn't? Who shouldn't be a lover of wisdom? And as you apply that to different spheres of your life, you have you have, you have a coaching philosophy and a parenting philosophy and a work philosophy and a ministry philosophy. It's kind of like the rules of a sport. It allows you to understand how do you play, how do you stay in bounds, how do you practice at getting better, what's allowable, not allowable, what are the goals and indicators of success. It keeps you on track. And you're living out a philosophy of parenting all the time. It's just important to make sure it's biblical and well thought through. And so a, a, a parenting philosophy determines your goals and roles as a parent. It helps you not being sidetracked by new ideas and issues by the day-to-day emergencies. I'm going crazy. This isn't working. I need a new book. I need a new podcast. I need a new kid. Is this the right direction to head? And if the answer is yes, it's the right direction to head. And you've got to make sure your day-to-day decisions stay in line with the overall vision. You don't punt on the vision When you don't feel like what you're doing is working, you can change what you're doing. You just don't change the long-term vision, the goal and roles. So this sounds sarcastic when I give it to people, and I've given it as, as recently as just two weeks ago. My best parenting advice is parenting works, just keep doing it. And I don't mean to be sarcastic. I mean that with all my heart. But do it as well as you can, using all of God's resources, His Word, His people, His Spirit. And it's important that you have a thought through, biblically principled, coherent, meaning not self-contradictory. That's how you exasperate your kids. And a faithfully applied parenting philosophy. So That sounds very complex. It doesn't have to be. In fact, it shouldn't be. So three crucial things to consider. What's your goal? What's your purpose as a parent? What's your role in that goal? And then what are, you, what are the specific choices, the day-to-day tactics, the processes that you build out towards that goal? The goal and the role don't change. The processes can and do change. As your kids change, as you change, as circumstances change. What's your goal as a parent? It is a subset of your goal as a person. Why are you on the planet? Do you know why? I can tell you why. Do you know why? There's a lot of places in Scripture it tells us, but this is a good one. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him, And for him. So God being glorified in you and through your parenting is your goal. God being glorified through your life is your purpose. Everything is a subset of your big goal. You can have sub goals for your child, but that's the foundational purpose of your life. We exist for his glory. We parent for his glory. Now I can tell you with all my heart, there's nothing I want more than the good of my three girls who are all grown and the seven little rascals they brought into the world. But this desire has to be grounded on the foundation of my greater desire for God's glory in my life and theirs. And notice I said the desire for their good, which isn't always equated with what feels like their happiness right now. I want them happy, but ultimately, since my purpose is the glory of God, my choices in regard to them have to be focused on holiness, not current happiness, because I know ultimately happiness is tied to holiness, but that's the long view. Day-to-day, it doesn't always feel that way. My role as a parent, your role as a parent, is be faithful. And that's been said about that. You get it. Be faithful. Let's think about how do you build out principles and processes. How do you live tactically with that big strategy in mind? And I'm going to give you two big ideas about how to live this out practically in line with your goal and role. And there's a lot more, but I'll give you two that really are important to me. One, faithfulness requires community. And two, faithfulness is a settled direction, not parenting perfection. So long-term faithfulness requires community. To stay faithful through all the years, this is a long, long fight, requires living in community. It's one of God's most important resources for your life. You are not going to do well in anything by yourself. And I've had people say, well, I'm not by myself. But I have, it's me and God, and God won't put up with that nonsense. He made you for community. That's how cults are formed. All the great cults of the world, and I say that sarcastically, were formed by somebody who said, I don't need anybody but me and Jesus. They went into a closet and came out and made cults. It's a guaranteed way to get weird. So you need people. You can't outsource parenting to the youth group or to the Christian school. No one can take your place as a parent. But you can't parent well alone. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And that quote is profoundly true in parenting. That's how God's designed life. Author Julia Grant writes that she doesn't care whether you let your baby cry it out at night or not, but she's interested in why you think an expert's book as opposed to your mother or your church might give you a trustworthy answer. You know, the experts are always out there. They're never right here. Jesus said, a prophet's not without honor except in his own town. And I think this is because we hope there's somebody out there who's figured this mess out. We're tired, we're worn out by the complexity. There's somebody out there who's figured it out and they have a simple answer to complex problems. They've got it down. Now we know there's no perfection around us because we know everybody. I know you. I know you. I know you. So we bring in the perfect person from out of town. When Jesus was in his hometown, performed a miracle, they said, Isn't this the carpenter's son? I mean, that's his mother's name is Mary. And we literally know his brothers and sisters. How can he be special? And so we look for the person who flies in from their place of perfection, gives us the secret key in a conference, or now the person who blogs from somewhere out there or podcasts. And who knows what kind of life they're even living, by the way. And we put confidence in them rather than the real-life people right in front of us. And it's really absurd. And that's not just in parenting, but it's theology, any number of issues of our lives where we've learned to trust the experts from out of town. Never mind that over the years, experts with vastly different models of parenting have messed up generations of kids. They sold their books, they became well known, and then the next experts come along who discredited them. Never mind that a generation was raised on that parenting rubbish. So Grant's conclusion is the best thing the church can offer parents is not another list of books by parenting experts, but a network of child-rearing knowledge, community mentoring. Because without this, the conflicting advice of the experts just makes us more confused. Now, I'm, an, I'm no parenting expert. I can tell you we worked hard at it. And I gave it my passionate attention, but I was far from far from perfect. No one's all that good all by themselves. So again, we didn't outsource our responsibility, but we trusted the community God had put us in. We learned through success and failure together. Because we have as a foundation for our community God's word, not just human experience. You say, well, Terry, people disagree. People who believe the Bible sometimes disagree on parenting. That's okay. But at least they have an authority from above to evaluate their choices by. God's given us his word. We can understand it. We can apply it. It's perfect. It's truth with no mixture of error. So we can disagree on certain things, but we have an absolute authority that we're both looking at. Others are living From an authority from below, the next human expert, who's just spitballing, he's guessing. And there's too much at stake to be guessing. The second sub-principle under the idea of living out your goal and role is faithfulness is direction, not perfection. This is not a new idea for us, but it's important to apply it to parenting. Don't lose heart, don't lose hope, stay the course. number one thing parents probably need is not more information, they just need encouragement, because it can get pretty discouraging. Keep the big why in front of you as you muddle through the daily choices and ups and downs. Because this failed pursuit of perfection, which, by the way, Jesus said aim for perfection, but you're not going to get there. You're to aim for it. And this idea that I'm going to somehow get perfection or this wrongheaded idea that it should be easier than this, it shouldn't be this hard. Who told you that? It can rob you of emotional and spiritual energy needed for long-term successful direction. So direction, faithfulness, not perfection, flawlessness is a way we're to think and act. How do you measure your success as a person, as a parent? Not how do you measure your child's success as a person, but that's a different question. We don't measure your success using a stopwatch or even a daily calendar. This is is long-term. Stay the course. How do you measure success? Am I being faithful? Not in every action, but in overall direction. Does this mean it doesn't matter how my kids turned out, just that I'm faithful? I can tell you, I can't speak for you, but for me, nothing matters more to me than how my kids turn out. But my point is this, when anything other than faithfulness becomes a main thing, you're going to get depleted of energy by worrying about the future and by getting stuck in guilt in the past. And then panic and control about the present. So of course it matters how our kids turn out. That's why we're talking about this. But our children's best hope for success in terms of our efforts as parents, and by the way, our best hope for sanity, is fix our hearts continually on faithfulness. Rather than a misguided idea that we can get, we can get this perfect. We've got to get this perfect. So one very practical outcome of this for me Direction, not perfection, was and is still. Relationship with God today is essential. It's priority. Relationship with God. And some of you are saying, well, you, your kids are raised. You've got time for that. I don't have time for relationship with God. Of course you have time. Do you, do you know what relationship with God is? I don't mean that sarcastically. But if you've got a lot of time for prayer, a lot of time to just, you know, go off. And I see moms, you know, who get that precious little bit of time. I walked into my One of my daughter's house yesterday, Saturday morning, their kids were downstairs raising a ruckus, but she was upstairs just with a coffee, smiling, had her Bible. You know, that's precious time. But you don't have to have precious time. You just have to have a vibrant relationship with God. And I've told this story before. I won't go through the whole gig, but when Corey was in the hospital in Kansas City with Nora, who was born with this terrible disease, and I took her out for coffee for a few minutes And she said, Dad, I can't pray. I can't sing. She was depleted. She had no time, no energy. But she was praying. What was her prayer? Help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. That's what I'm talking about. You need vital union with God and others, not just for parenting, but for everything. And this lack of perspective on faithfulness, a lack of understanding of how we need to abide in Christ. And it doesn't have to be fancy. It's not going to be fancy. It could, you know, sometimes the most... Deep abiding in Christ is just help me, Jesus. That can explain why so many parents are anxious and depressed. So let's look at that, how to, how to maybe think about this practically. Why a vibrant relationship with God is essential to, to this idea of direction, not perfection. I'll try to tie them together. Hopefully it'll make sense. I'll give you an Old Testament verse and a New Testament verse. Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart. Out of it flow all the issues of life. So this is about guard your heart. This is the real inner thinking choosing you. Focus on what you control. To worry about left column is to expend energy that could be used in the right column. It's, It's difficult to focus on what you can control and not worry about other things, but it's more difficult if you don't. So how do you guard your heart? Let's go to the New Testament. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ. So, okay, you got Old Testament New Testament. Do I guard my heart or does God's peace guard my heart? The answer is yes. And when we read God's peace will guard our hearts and minds, it sounds sort of warm and fuzzy. I like that. When I pray and give my anxious thoughts to God, I'm just going to feel better. I don't. A lot of times I don't. Sometimes I do. A lot of times I don't. I can tell you this. I think better and I live better when I do. Because what this is about is not chasing warm fuzzies. It's about rethroning God and dethroning me. So there's a lot more going on here than warm fuzzies. Don't be anxious, don't allow worry to take over your mind. This is an ongoing conscious decision, this is you guarding your heart. How? and everything, take the things you worry about and give them to God. Ongoing conscious decision, training, not just trying. Then God's peace is going to put a, a watch over your heart and mind. And when those words are used together like that, heart and mind, it stands, they stand together for all of the real thinking choosing you. It's not so okay to guard your thoughts and then your emotions. It's all of the inside of you, all the real thinking choosing you. God's going to set his watch over that. And the word guard means a sentinel or a watchman, or I think of it like a referee. So it's not just praying you'll feel more peaceful. You might. You might not. But if you do not take on worry, but you take your worry to God, his peace is going to set a watch over your heart and mind. And it'll, he'll sound the alarm whenever you're getting out of bounds. No peace, no peace. The, 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 the Holy Spirit's going to be like the referee blowing the whistle. You're out of bounds. You're, you're, you've, you need to dethrone yourself and rethrone God. You're trying to control what's not yours to control. You're, off, you're back in the, in, the, in the past. We're wallowing in guilt. You're running off in the future and you're living with anxiety. They don't belong to you. Stop. And so this kind of Holy Spirit refereeing really requires a vibrant relationship with God. A walk with God. So two practical applications of parenting faithfulness live out. Live in community, direction, not perfection, which requires vital ongoing relationship with God. Does this guarantee results? Well, yes and no. What kind of results are you referring to? Well, what I really like to have good children? What do you mean by that? Well, they don't make my life hard. They're completely happy. They walk with God. They pay their own bills, and they aren't in jail. Well, there's no guarantee of that. But if you're saying, does it guarantee that I'll be able to hear, well done, good and faithful child, yeah, there's a guarantee of that. And people have said, Terry, what about the promise, Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he won't turn from it. People who, who use Proverbs like that don't understand the nature of the genre of Proverbs. That's why they're called Proverbs. We have, we have direct promises in Scripture. We have direct laws in Scripture. Then we have Proverbs. And Proverbs are truths about the way life generally works. They're a principled approach to life. They're not penny in candy out. That's why one proverb says, answer a fool according to his folly, or he'll become wise in his own eyes. The next proverb, don't answer a fool according to his folly. Are you, are you confused? No, there's two different kind of fools, different ways of answering them. Proverbs 10 27 says the fear of the Lord adds length to life but the years of the wicked are cut short so does that promise that the righteous are always going to live to be a hundred and the wicked are going to die young that's not what that proverb means what it means is living life in line with the Lord's will and ways maximizes lifespan living otherwise leads to shorter lives if you doubt this just go out ask Dr. Greg Greer he sees this every day But God has overall plans for the lives of people that are not simple human cause and effect. Proverbs 22, 6 does not mean your choices determine your child. That would undermine all that Scripture says about human agency, but it will impact them. Your choices matter to your children. It's also saying don't measure too soon. It ain't over till it's over. Keep the faith. So faithfulness as a life direction, not a life of perfection, guarantees the pleasure of God. And you've done what you can do to provide a level path for your child to walk on if they choose to walk it. So let's call it parenting with proactive humility. For God's glory and for the good of your children. So I'm going to give you three things that we valued using just three words. Real, fun, and secure. As just to get you thinking about, okay, how, do you, how does this work its way out into your daily life? So real described what we call, what we call here a single story life. We really we wanted them to see this as being real, not fabricated, because it is. So we talked about the Bible in a context of everyday life. We showed up at church, and we demonstrated that we liked church because we did. We had the church Christians in our home, in our lives. We messed up, we fessed up, we moved on. I did a lot more than Christy did because I needed it a lot more than Christy did. But we messed up, fessed up, moved on, and we worked at having this, this life that was... That was whole. There wasn't our church life and our everyday life. And when we failed at that, we confessed because the, the two story life is confusing to kids. And then fun we worked hard at making life fun. Kids learn best in that environment. We wanted them to experience the joy of a life lived with God. Not all of life is fun, so you have to work hard at making life fun when you can. We majored on what we were for, not what we were against. And, and um, looking for fun in the small things. You know, it's like you, you, Disneyland, that's great, that's fine. If you go to Disney World, whatever, but I haven't been, don't really want to go. But, um, but, if, but the small things are what adds up. So something as simple as the tactic of putting suckers out here. By the way, the suckers aren't for you, grown-ups. You can buy your own suckers. <laughs> but I don't care if you get one. I'm not policing them. But it's a really small way of saying to kids, a very small way, this is a good place. This is a fun place. And then secure. And security, by security, I'm not tying that to just keeping them safe or having you know, alarm system on your house, but security for kids is most closely tied to how the mom and dad relate to one another. I've heard it said, better a divorce than seeing a bad marriage. And first of all, the data says nonsense. And second of all, it's not a binary choice, divorce or a bad marriage, Change. Show them how God's designed the world to work. Security comes for the child first in seeing his parents love one another. So if you're in the next generation, which is a lot of folks right here and over here, if you're in the next generation, with all this in mind, what can you do to make it easier for your parents and others who lead you to lead you? What can you do to make it easier, not harder? And will you trust God by trusting them? The Bible says you're flirting with disaster if you play the fool and trust yourself over them. And then this is the the encouraging part. Will you engage the resources God's given you, his word, his spirit, his people, to grow into a godly man or woman? Because your generation is floundering. You know that. You see it. And they talk about how the bar's been set low. The bar's on the ground right now. And so you guys and gals, you guys generically, you have the opportunity to really fly, to thrive, to lead. You can do it. And this is not hyperbole. I'm convinced of this. And in church, what can you do to make those in in the midst of the throes of parenting successful? It's no small thing to serve in nursery and super church upstairs. The reason we don't, we strategically don't have kids in here so parents can grow in their walk with God. And any parent thinks they can listen intently to God's word priest and pay attention to a squirming toddler is delusional. It's just not. You can't. And so we want you to engage God here so you can go impact your kids out there. And then how can you engage the people if you're not a parent, if you're single and you're in a small group with with people with, with parents Don't disregard your role in their lives. How can you pray for them, engage them, help them, come alongside them? And then for all of us, how do we see all of these kids as our appropriate responsibility? Get to know them. So we're the church. We have God's Word, and we are His people. We're not guessing at this, but we do have to work hard at this. Let's pray together. The worship team is going to come lead us.